Welcome back to Simon and Whiten, the podcast at the center of politics, business, and media. I'm Christian Whiten, also joined as always by Mark Simon, who is back in the USA from Taiwan. Say hello, Mark. Hi, everybody. All right, we're talking today. Uh, we've got a number of stocks to go through, a lot of big news, but let's start with the big news that crosses business and finance, which is House Passage by Nancy Pelosi and her Democrats of the, I call it the just for fun spending bill. You know, you think of stimulus uh, and, you know, this goes back to the early 20th century um, and certainly the mid 20th century when uh, Keynes was uh, was a prominent economist. Uh, Keynesian spending is you spend money in government, especially when the economy is slow and unemployment is high. Well, we've passed an infrastructure bill in excess of one trillion dollars and the House just threw another one point seven. They say it might be more, it might be actually, you know, who knows, two plus trillion dollars still has to get through the Senate throw that on the fire. Uh, and this is a fire where we have an economy that at least on paper is bigger than it was before the pandemic. I think part of that is fake. Part of that, a big part of that is government spending. We yeah. still have four and a half million fewer workers who are employed than before. And I think a lot of those people, who knows who they are? We really haven't gotten a good explanation. And a lot of them may have worked for small companies who, you know, you have a few employees, you don't make a ton of money, but you feel an obligation to them. You feel an obligation to work, but, you know, the government creates so many hassles. Uh, it becomes such a problem. So maybe you just throw in the towel permanently. But even in a Keynesian model, which the Democrats strictly love, I think there are flaws with that. I'm more of a monetarist myself, a supply side guy. Uh, if you pour three trillion dollars on, on, on a fire that is already raging, where you have inflation, you have um, way below what's considered structural unemployment, uh, where you have rapid gross domestic product growth, you're going to get more inflation. <laughs> and, you know, we're only a couple of weeks after Glenn Young can kick the Democrats butts in deep, uh, increasingly deep blue Virginia. So they seem to have, have learned virtually nothing about that, certainly nothing on economics. They think that this is going to be some some uh, feather in Biden's cap that the public will say, oh, wow, the Democrats are doing such a great job. They just passed the spending bill. Maybe we won't hate them as much. I don't know, Mark, where do you where do you think this is heading economically and politically? Well, ec economically, it's going to be a disaster for one reason. There's just not enough of anything now. And they're asking for more. In other words, every person in the business community today, even if you work, a, if you're a manager at McDonald's or if you're a manager at Morgan Stanley, you all know one thing. There's a shortage of people. In other words, you're short people. Talk to construction firms. Um, talk to the guys who are cutting grass in your neighborhood or raking leaves. They will tell you we are short people. So the last thing they need is more work. In other words, most guys or most companies are booked out well in advance. Uh, in terms of a service industry, hotels don't have enough people. So now you're going to basically spend more money to create more demand for demand that already can't be satisfied. In other words, you know, the idea that you're going to somehow move the move the ball anywhere around is ridiculous. In other words, it's going to stay right where it was. And then there's just going to be more and more demand. I'll give you two specific examples. The first example is road construction. Frankly, right now, there's a shortage of steel. Steel prices are higher. There's a shortage of labor. It's not it's a semi skilled job, but you need people to do it. So guess what? That means you're not going to have enough people. That means there's going to be inflationary wages, inflation, inflationary pressure on wages. And you're going to end up paying top dollar for new roads because all the all the supplies are are not there. So I think economically it's not going to work 
everybody knows that. And that leads to the political question. The political question is you're going to have rampant inflation. You know, just go to Costco, go to any place, go in. Everything costs more. You know, I heard a story the other day where a guy put $1,000 down on a car. They said, we'll deliver it to you in six months. It'll be $4,000 above MSRP price. They called him two weeks later and they said, it's not right that we keep your money. Here's your $1,000 back. But if you want to put your $1,000 back down, we'll sell you the car at $8,000 above MSRP. In other words, people are going to notice these things. The other thing that people are going to notice is coming up, we have the holiday season. And everybody has been trained like Pavlov's dog to expect sales. I think there's going to be very few sales. If you're a merchandiser, if you're running a department store, if you're selling anything and you're giving heavy discounts this time, you're a fool. You know, I went to I went to Best Buy just the, yesterday. I was at Best Buy. The guy told me they didn't have anything. You know, in other words, they have product. You can get it. But they don't they don't have 40 TVs sitting out there for two ninety nine each. You know, the 36 inches cheap ones from China. They don't have any of those sitting out. Those are sitting back there at six hundred bucks. You know, it's just it's very, very difficult now for people not to understand that the, infl that the markets are tight. And here's the problem they're going to have. Biden's going to go out and say, we're spending all this money. And people are like going, yeah, but, you know, milk costs 9% more. This costs more. That costs more. And my rent keeps going up. Or my, you know, in the case of once the Fed starts to move, if the Fed moves, you know, what are interest rates now? The average person's probably paying about 3.4, 3.5%. You know, take that up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, what if you take it up to 5%? That's a big, big number for a lot of people, you know, who, who were in there, who bought a lot of house and not a lot of cash. So right. it, it's going to, it's going to get nasty politically pretty quickly. Um, part of me politically, I don't want to see it happen because I don't want to see people get hurt. But part of me politically is like, okay, we'll get the Senate and we'll get the house. And, you know, that'll be that. Yeah, increasingly, I, I, I think that's right. And uh, it's, it's a bittersweet, uh, I think, reality for me. I mean, if you look at the generic poll, this is something if you call up strangers and ask them, uh, you know, who they're voting for in Congress, Democrat or Republican, basically, if that's ever even Republicans are going to mop up, um, for some reason, there's always Democrat bias in that poll. And if you look at the real clear politics average, Republicans are up by, you know, four or five percent on average. And there are two recent polls. One has Republicans up 10 percent, the other up 13 percent. That's unprecedented. Even in 1994, when Republicans took the House, uh, basically for the first time since the 30s, we had there were two Congresses in the late 40s and early 50s where Republicans had the House. But by and large, Democrats ran the joint from uh, the Roosevelt administration or the last two years of the Hoover administration until uh, 1994. So, you know, huge political waves and tectonic shifts. And even that, I think uh, Democrats were ahead until the very end. Maybe Republicans came up a few points ahead. Um, I mean, this is sort of an extinction level event. Who knows? Republicans, I suppose, could screw it up. Although, frankly, at this point, and this is why I call it bittersweet, they don't have to do much. They don't really have to swing for the bleachers. They don't seem to need a contract for America-like agenda, which is a, a bit of a shame. I think if you have something like that, then once you win, 
you know, people are um, more unified as to where you want to go. There's unity of purpose, uh, especially since you're still going to be confronting a Democrat White House and the media and big tech and all of that. Uh, but also in the Senate, you know, you have to go go state by state in the Senate, but it's it's looking better and better for Republicans. Who knows? Maybe we could pick up even three seats. Uh, if you get to 53, you know, this coming election is lousy in the Senate for Republicans. We're defending. Yeah, don't have many any defending but if you look at 24, actually, I mean, if we do well and pick up a few seats in 22, there's even a shot. It's a long shot, but at a 60 seat majority in 24, where you can have a Republican president, a Republican House and a super a filibuster proof well, majority. Christian, it's no secret what I believe. I believe the Democratic Party is going the way of the Labour Party in Britain. Um, yes, they should have looked at Yunkin and said, let's be sane, and that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> they're going to do everything. They're going to keep pushing this agenda. They're going to keep pushing um, basically divisive politics. And I think people are going to look at them and say, this is not going to work. I mean, I'll tell you a huge happening, huge happening that people, you know, after the Kyle Rattenhouse, you know, innocent verdict. What happened in, and I know this, I've been to this mall before. What happened in, you know, basically outside of San Francisco uh, in, in the suburbs? 50, was it 20 cars or 50 cars full of, I hate to say it, African-American youth came in from Oakland and basically hit them all. It's, it's all over the news. Fox is going to go crazy with it. It's all over the other things. They basically came in with cars and hit them all. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a roving gang. And they basically went there and they said, let's go steal stuff because there's no consequence right. for this. So they're making these cities unlivable. They're turning, I would say, liberals into moderates. And, but they're not going to stop because they, they have their basically brand. They have their constituency. And they really don't know which way to go. The uh, They don't know how to go the other way. And it's also really coming down to it that people like you and I, who have families and kids, we're getting more and more. I think Joel Klotkin, I, I'll try, try to send it to you, had a great piece. Basically, the divide is becoming between people with families, people who hold, quote unquote, even single people who hold family values versus, you know, essentially a class of single people who basically are happy living in, um, you know, basically Blade Runner. They don't really care, <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't matter to them. And I think this is a huge issue. But getting back to it, I don't see what economic idea that's in the left right now that's going to work. And I, I, think, I think as people can get jobs and get paid more and can move up, you know, one of the things that we don't see a lot of right now is we don't see a lot of labor unrest. You know why? Because I'm a boss, I have hundreds of people that work for our groups, and if I want to keep them, I got to pay them. You know what I'm saying? Now, maybe they may get super greedy and decide to do something, but, you know, for the most part, if you're working hard and you want a little bit of extra money, you get it, you know. And, and, and so I think, you know, basically the money's out there to be made. It's one of the great things for immigrants coming into this country right now. I had a conversation with the guy who picked me up at the airport the other day. He said he's got more work than he knows what to do with. You know, in other words, he's driving to drive because that's just he said he said he likes to drive. You know why? Because in between in between pickups, he can sleep.
because it's full time. His daytime job, he says he works 10 hours a day mm. and he's trying to get his English better so he can move into sales. He was actually a pretty funny guy. He was saying <laughs> nobody wants to talk to a Hungarian with an accent like this. So he's trying to he's trying to you know, he's trying to he's trying to learn to sales. He's looking to better his life and he's probably sending messages back home to all his buddies. Get over here. Life's great. You know what I'm saying? You can make a fortune. And so at the moment the Democrats start punishing that, which they are looking to do, it's all over. So now I, I think I, I think I almost believe that a 60 seat majority. I know you think it's way out there. I think if they keep going, it's going to happen, because how do people like Mark Warner or John Tester, you know, when it's just going crazy? The old, hey, I'm a good old moderate Democrat stuff. That's not going to happen. I don't even think Manchin saves his job next time if they run a decent candidate against him. I'm still betting Manchin jumps to the Republican side the closer he gets. You know, he just what he wants to do is jump later rather than now. And all of a sudden get a get a get a rival. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, Get a a good Democratic rival going, you know. But I I think he's going to jump to the Republican side because he's. As much as he does, good old Joe's not going to make it in West Virginia. Right. Well, it's interesting, you know, going back to what you said about, uh, frankly, even people without kids in cities, I think, are realizing that Democrats have made them suck again. Uh, one friend who's liberal in D.C., no kids, um, but realizing, and I used to live on on this block, 14th Street and Northwest that uh, it's just no longer safe. It's no longer fun. It's no longer going in the right direction. And sometimes people react more to trends than reality, and they can see that the trend is in the wrong direction. And uh, you know, her plan is to to move to Florida. I don't know if that'll turn her into a Republican voter, but um, yeah, no people. You can, you can only it's sort of like uh, was it Saki? Well, some Democrats, but I forget if it was someone on the Hill or Saki saying, oh. Uh, someone in the White House who basically said this is, this inflation is just a rich guy's problem. It's like no, no. When you're paying three fifty a, uh, a a gallon for gas, that, that actually that's uh, not affecting rich guys on the Upper East Side or in Beverly Hills or uh, yeah. or San Francisco or the other Democrat constituencies. It's affecting. I the I, I think we go all day about this, but I really believe mm-hmm. there is a there is a there is a growing difference in America, and it's not what the Democrats think it is. You know what I'm saying? It's just right. not. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're in a small minority that they're catering to right now. All right. Let's jump through a new thing for Simon and Whiten. Uh, we've talked a lot about equities in the past, but let's try and, and get go through a bunch, not in rapid fire, but maybe spend a minute or two on uh, each. And, and we have a, a handful here. This sort this matches with our... Um, our call on inflation, which is Dollar Tree, which also operates family dollars. So as prices go up, as you have to pay 20 bucks to get two steaks for dinner at the supermarket, maybe more, maybe a lot more, actually. Um, Dollar Tree is at a 52-week high. There's recent activist interest from Mantle Ridge, but that's not actually sort of the um, (laughs) Carl Icahn style activist interest where they think you're running your company horribly and they're coming in to uh, tear the place apart or to have radical change. There's, There's faith in the company, but a desire to take it, I think, in a more active investment. Currently trading at 21 price to earnings. So 
Um, I think this is actually a buy in the sense that it's a business that is going to do well. That is, so I mean, it, it has, it'll have inflation difficulty in the sense it faces supply chain and rising prices. On the other hand, people identify it as a place where amid rising prices, they can, they can get a deal. Um, so I think it's in good shape. What do you think, Mark? Sorry, it's the dog. The no, dog doesn't like it. Doug likes it. Uh, he didn't like it. But uh, no, first of all, I think Dollar Tree is a great buy, and there's two reasons why. The first is what you're pointing out. Basically, you know, it's, it's a very reasonable stock. It's moving forward. But the real thing is, is one of the things we learned about Walmart a long time ago is when the market went down, Walmart pulls in a whole new group of upper customers. In other words, people start going down into Walmart. Okay. And then Walmart's pricing power over everybody else makes the people that would go to other stores come to them. But you start to see basically a, a higher class of people down in Walmart. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're down there uh, buying. They're buying in bulk. They're buying cheaper. So dollar store is going to have that huge, huge advantage. Um, I happen to know that I used to do business with. I know that some of the guys with dollar store uh, who were in Hong Kong for years who handled their consolidation because I used to do business with them. And it's a remarkably um, agile company. I think it's an amazing company in terms of how they handle um, their logistics, but also how they handle their buying. Um, um, Canadian Tire is another company that you might want to take a look at up in Canada. Same type of thing. You go to a Canadian Tire in Toronto, it's like a Target. You go to a Canadian Tire 500 miles north of Toronto and you can buy ammunition and guns and everything else. <laughs> Dollar store is somewhat like that. In other words, it's a very, it's a very fast moving merchandising store and you know, they tend to do really well. So I like, I tend to like anybody at the lower spectrum. I like target. I like Walmart and I like Dollar store. And I think these are the guys who are going to do very, very well. Great. All right, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. So um, much in the news and Alibaba, uh, Jack Ma, you know, was at the, the leading edge of, of uh, Xi Jinping's left turn. Xi Jinping being the boss of the Chinese Communist Party and decided at some point along the road in the last two, three years to squeeze these, these big Plutarch, these big business guys as uh, even if they were sort of uh, friendly, at least in their minds, with the party, not friendly enough. So they got put through the ringer. But now Alibaba, they did an earnings miss. Stock fell out of bed, now trading only at about 20 times uh, earnings. And I'm you know, very skeptical on anything China and uh, perhaps don't want uh, any of my money. It doesn't go to China if I buy Alibaba stocks, but that you know, creates support uh, and if there's a, and, and theoretical support for a future secondary offering. So I don't know, though. But do you think Alibaba is a buy at this level? Alibaba is absolutely Alibaba is a buy. Look, mm -hmm. the barrier to entry now, the one thing that people forget about Xi Jinping is this, mm -hmm. is that when he's in the process of destroying the economy, and destroying things, he makes it a lot harder for other people to come up. In other words, just because he's hitting you know, Taobao, he's hitting Alibaba, he's hitting all these big companies, it doesn't mean the smaller guys are benefiting from it. In other words, they've just taken a hit. Now, I believe that they're kind of done beating the hell out of Alibaba and beating the hell out of some of these guys by because they figured out it's not working for them. So yeah, at a 20 PE, I would buy Alibaba. In fact, Disclosure, I have bought Alibaba. <laughs> now, here's the whole thing with Alibaba. It's just like China. Put a 
put a ceiling on it. You know what I'm saying? In other words, once you get to a certain point, take some profit. You know, it's not a long-term play because guess what? They'll do something else in China and it'll bring it right back down. You know what I'm saying? They'll decide, they'll read some headline somewhere that Alibaba has doubled in market cap, you know, and then they'll decide to do something to it. So I think it's an active play of stock. In other words, it's a stock that you need to probably keep on your keyboard and, hey, I'm up 25% this month. Boom, take your profit, get out. Take your profit, get out. And I think that's the way you do it. I don't think, I don't think it's a, it's not like to me, I have Google, I have Amazon, you know, I have Microsoft that just bought it off to the side. One day we'll all come back and look at it. You know what I'm saying? This is not that type of stock. Alibaba is something that you got to push the button a lot. It's funny with, uh, you know, attention coming back, uh, unwanted attention. It reminds me in New Zealand, they have this saying, it's a terrible saying, uh, that the tallest blade of, of grass gets cut. And it's, I guess, one reason why a lot of, well, just about anyone with ambition, at least business ambition in New Zealand moves to Australia or Singapore, more, more likely. You know what, that's, uh, I, I know, <laughs> I, the, 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 the best, one of the best property guys in Hong Kong is Peter Churchhouse. He's really smart. He was the Morgan Stanley guy for years, and now he's got his own firm. 100%. I don't know what it is about that country with the Kiwis. But like the moment you're excelling, they're just it's like the crabs. They just reach up and start pulling you down, which is odd because actually it's a very successful country in a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? But they are they're egalitarians beyond belief. Hmm, that's weird. Um, all right, Royal Dutch Shell, as you may just know it as Shell from when you yep. gas up, and it will in the future just be known Shell because they're ditching the the Dutch part of Royal Dutch. They've had this weird design, and it's not just headquarters on paper where they're in London and they're in The Hague in the Netherlands. It's been a, a strange uh, shareholder design and they're ditching that. They're just going to be a British company from now on. Now, they say that that's because that has nothing to do with this lawsuit, which they lost. They're appealing it, but they lost. Basically, a Dutch court ordered them to commit suicide, said, oh, even though you're in the hydrocarbon business, that you have to cut uh, carbon emissions to this arbitrary level we, as the court set, as if they're elected to anything. Um, and if you don't, it's big trouble. Now, uh, so the company is saying that their move has nothing to do with that, which to me means it has everything to do with sure. that. Um, you know, oil is off a little bit from its absolute high. It's, it's it, because of the resurgence of COVID on the, uh, on the European continent. There's some thinking that that'll be a slower winter. And, you know, oil's off, I think, uh, three or four bucks, but still kind of close to 80. So that's, I think, still long-term positive. But um, Shell, I mean, I think we've had this discussion before where it's hard, even if you just want to play oil or play energy, it's hard to do, through, do so through the majors because they just kind of suck. Um, you know, again, it's the type of thing that, you know, put your, butt, put your finger on the button. When it goes up, buy, sell it. When it goes down, buy it. I am one of these ones. I know everybody wants to be driving electric cars. I know everybody wants to be driving a lot of things. Um, the only electric vehicle that I've been watching is the heavy trucks. And they're not what people think they are. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're dozens of years off from basically having a truck that's going to be able to compete with a diesel. And the diesel trucks are getting better all the time. You know what I'm saying? So I, I tend to think that... Uh, I think, unfortunately, for the world economies and for the and for people, we're into this basically rich kid, white guy, um, um, urban yuppie 
everything has to be EV, everything has to be electric, um, and we'll just burn more coal or whatever we're going to do to get it. But I still think people are going to have cars. You know, I mean, I, one of the things is, is like, I will not have an electric car because I'm worried about, I just, I'll take a hybrid. I think a hybrid is a great idea. You know what I'm saying? But I want something that's going to recharge itself and something that, you know, I get really good mileage on. But look, I, I, I just believe that some of these guys will still be around, but the, that the regulatory environment is so hostile. It's just so, so hostile now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that if, if, you know, if you think there's going to be an oil shortage, buy the buy Exxon, write it up 20 percent, sell it and then move on. But it's unfortunately, it's not the core that it used to be. And the other problem I really have with some of these guys is what they should be is they should be dividend machines. Yes. And they're absolutely. not because they're wasting all this money investing in climate change technologies that are never going to pay off. You know, in other words, I mean, the, 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 the ROI in some of this stuff is ridiculous, but they're right. still going to spend it. Right. You know, You're just raising the cost of energy and not getting actual capital goods that you know, and, produce. And, and the, re the, the other thing that investors really have to watch is the corporate governance of some of these companies. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I really think a lot of these guys have just given up. It's almost like uh, the principal in The Simpsons. If you remember him, he was like, oh, the, hell with it. the school system's going to the hell with it as long as I get my pension. I just have this vision of all these guys at Exxon, Chevron and every place else going like, oh, I'm 52 years old. I'll mouth what they want me to mouth and then I'll retire in 10 years. You know what I'm saying? There's not a lot of guys who are really going to really going to fight that. Who was that secretary of state that we didn't like under Trump? What was his name? Tillerson, right? Yes. In yes, I worked for him. Tillerson, Tillerson was one of the last guys who really stood up for the oil industry. I think that's why Trump liked him a little bit. You know what I'm saying? He actually said, mm -hmm. I'm an oil company. I'm an oil man. And I think it's why Exxon was kind of considered more honest than most people. Yep. You know, yeah, well, BP it. was terrible. They had that Brit. Uh, remember the, the, the picture Lord. of the oil spewing to the Gulf of Mexico? And he's necessary. Yeah. And then Chevron has always tried to jump in bed with the devil and, and just be the, you know, the proverbial UPs and in, in she hope that Chevron, the crocodile eats you last. What would, what, would, what would make me invest in Chevron is if they left California and moved to Louisiana. <laughs> Seriously, yes. That would make me invest mm. in Chevron because... As long as they're in California, they've always got to let all the crazies come down and visit and talk to them. And that's a huge problem. Go to Louisiana. You won't have to deal with any of them. All right. George Soros. So uh, I'm yep. a conservative guy. I, I sort of enjoy poking fun at George Soros. I'm not sure he's the boogeyman. Everyone makes him out to be where in the sense that he is the financial impetus behind everything that is adverse no, to us. And people say that about the you know, liberals would say that about the Koch brothers. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I sort of keep a track of what CKI uh, and what their other ventures, one of them deceased, of course, um, does. And it's not quite the tentacles everywhere that, that liberals imagine. It's Abel Soros. But uh, even if you hate him, uh, that man knows how to make money. And also he knows how to separate his politics from money yeah. making. Yeah. Um, so his investment firm disclosed a bunch of new positions. This is part of a regulatory disclosure. I won't go through all of them, but what is he buying or what is the firm buying? And to be honest, I don't know how, how active a hand he has in the daily management. MGM Growth Properties. That's a REIT that owns yep. casinos. 
Um, I will go, let's, let's divide these up. So there's that and then two financial plays, then some more I'll get to later. JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, of course, we're all familiar with those. That surprised me as a little bit. I always thought that in an environment of raising, excuse me, of rising inflation and interest rates, that banks actually hurt a little bit because they can't pass that cost of capital along to customers as fast as they would like. But that may be an old way of thinking. And before we're no, not really, but I think it's a different way of thinking. Now, I think if you look at JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, basically they're big trading houses and they're almost hedge funds in a way. So I think I think he's counting on the fact that these guys are going to make money if the market goes up or these guys are going to make money. The market goes down. They're trading their own book. They're doing a lot of different things. And quite frankly, JP Morgan, at least, has a very, very healthy wealth management business and the upper class is getting wealthier. So guess what? They're going to be investing. They're going to be doing things. And the final thing with all of this is, and it's a real disadvantage for the, for the, for the average person is the number of public companies are dropping. So if you're worth a couple of million bucks and you want to get into certain situations, you're going to have to do business with some of these people that can do it. In other words, <clears throat> everybody loves trading on TD Waterhouse, but TD Waterhouse is not going to be able to, you know, you're going to have a, say you have $5 million with, a, uh, with your private broker at JP Morgan. He can't get you in everything, but he can get you into maybe some special situation investment funds or something that JP Morgan knows how to handle. And, and that's what he can do for you. And, and the average investor is not going to be able to do that. And I've noticed that that's how they're pulling in business. We can do things for you that other people can't do. We can do a crypto fund. Not everybody wants to own crypto, okay? We, but you can own a crypto fund where you don't have to deal with the IRS every month or something like that. So I think it's really good. Um, the MGM growth properties to REIT, it's casinos. He's counting on casinos doing well. I don't know, probably okay. Um, but what I, did, what I did find really interesting was, quite frankly, I thought his in investment in this company, D.R. Horton, the home building company, was really in interesting. Yeah. In other words, what he's understanding is, and this is where I say his politics probably do cross with his, his business. Look, a lot of people come into America, a lot of people, and they need houses and we're short homes. So guess what? Home builders, it's pretty good business right now. Even in places like Rhode Island, there are new proper toll brothers and these guys are operating up there for the very first time in 15, 20 years. There's a shortage of housing. And I think you're going to continue to see as long as the world gets a little bit shittier and excuse my language in other places, I think we're going to see people coming here. So I think, you know, they probably know this sector better than most people. So it's not a bad, it's, it's probably a pretty good stock form. I have to be honest with you. Um, I recently bought a, uh, a real estate investment Trust, real estate investment trust host hotels uh -huh. done really well interesting know, up, up 20 25 percent very shortly and you know and it's just people are putting money into real estate people are putting money into the other thing too is it's very nice is people are putting money into individual properties so i think some of these guys are going to do very well so source you're right about source source is a damn genius when it comes to money i don't know why people always give them a hard time not very. I know. Smart, well, hey, we're shorting the British pound. That sounds like a perfectly excellent thing to do. If you, as long as you can make money doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean why not? Pay, why not they, put they a currency under look, stress if they, it's, they if it's out on a black hand to everything? So I, th I think he's fantastic. I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know. But but he's just a, he's such a bogeyman for the right. George Soros. George Soros. 
he probably just sits at home at night and looks at his son and goes, are we doing that? Right. Well, you know, as you and I were emailing, he, he, he wrote an op-ed recently in the journal. I missed it. It may have been a month or two ago where he, he took a shot at people doing business in China saying not a smart thing to do, which is, uh, you know, hey, that's impressive. You don't see a lot of other finance guys doing that. He, I, I, you know, the thing I like about Soros and I kind of like about the Koch brothers and second about my boss, Jimmy, is, you know, they look out at the end of the day. And I, I mean, Buffett gets me sometimes. I think Buffett's just a hypocrite. In other words, I think he lives the life of a conservative Republican, but he becomes a liberal Democrat because they're more funded parties in his mind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, who knows? But and the maybe, thing with maybe Buffett, in the old days, maybe when he was young. But yes, I get your point. I get your point. But yeah, but the thing is, is like Buffett's like, you know, I mean, basically, you know, what did he say? If, I, you know, if Warren Buffett wakes up tomorrow and he's worth less a billion less dollars, does his life change a bit? The answer is no. Now, he's kind of worried about that. I think I think Soros doesn't give a shit. Right. Right. The two, uh, a couple of the quickies. Um, he dumped uh, they dumped positions, electric vehicle uh, battery startup, Quantum Space Corp and elevator uh, manufacturer Otis Worldwide. He picked up one that was interesting. IHS Market, M-A-R-K-I-T. It's a financial and business information company. They're merging with S&P. You know, I interned uh, Wall Street and Business School, a company called Capital IQ, later absorbed by larger information corporation. You look at Bloomberg, the fact that people are still paying like 30 or 40 grand for a Bloomberg terminal, I would have thought, uh, I mean, yes, when I was an intern on Wall Street the first time in college in 1995, we had a Bloomberg terminal. My job was to pull hockey scores and news for the managing director for his train ride home to Greenwich. Um, and the idea that we're you know, paying so much for financial information, which ha- much of which has to be disclosed, not all of it. And that's where the big fees come in. If you have information on private transactions like M&A, uh, this seems always to be an excellent business to be in, right? That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I can't remember the, you know, the, the Dow Jones component of their data business. News Corp just had their results. Not bad. I wouldn't, you know, I play News Corp every once in a while, but, um, you know, and again, it's data. It's big data. It's what people want. It's information. I mean, you know, we're heading to the world of AI. You got to have something to put in AI. But I, I do agree with you. I think one day Bloomberg, people are going to wake up and say, you know, do I really need this Bloomberg terminal? Do I really need to pay, you know, you know, $3,000 a month or $2,500 a month? You know what I'm saying? And get screeds from them because we did for a while. Get screeds from them on like correct verbiage to use, you know, no sexism or anything like that. And uh, on the terminals and all that good stuff. Look, I believe that people will pay for information. The question is, how many of us have to have the stock exchange, that live thing? Or can we wait for a four or five minute delay? You know, maybe somebody somebody will pay for it. You know, it's kind of like gamers. I mean, like, you know, my son, and you're going to encounter this too. I'll laugh at you one day, you know, when he's going, dad, dad. Our internet is way too slow. Well, what do you want me to do about it? If you pay another $150 a month, we can get like, you know, XXL, Super Quantum, Galaxy, Bizarro, <laughs> you know, and it's the fastest in the world. And then what's the result of that? Well, if I have that, I can beat Chad down the street. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so, so that, that to me sometimes is Bloomberg. I mean, who wants to be the guy who takes Bloomberg away from his traders and then they have a bad quarter, you know? That's a good point. That's a really so, good point. But, yeah. but I don't, but I don't, I, I do think, I do think that they are going to have to provide a lot more value than they provide now to justify these high fees. 
you know, I think that's really, really sure there. I, I still predict Bloomberg's going to go into trading. I've always predicted that. Hmm. I think I think it, they have to. They have they have to go compete. They won't. They 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 will not compete with the banks, but they will try to find a way to compete with the uh, TD Waterhouses of the world and those people. I think it's coming. You think that the, the sort of the broad news? You mean you right off of a terminal, or you think the broad sort of you know company that that provides the news? Um, and well, the news, the, all, all the, the, news the news is a money loser. I mean, who mm -hmm. watches David Rubenstein on Saturdays at 2 p.m. in the afternoon you know what I'm <laughs> when you're flicking through the, the channels? Vanity show. It's either that or my pillow, right? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's like I mean, it's like Michael Bloomberg gives his buddy a show and then nope, everybody says yes to being interviewed on there because, you know, basically they want some of his money down the road. But it's a dumb show. Um, and but I, but, you know, look. Financial information is what people who are serious traders want. If Bloomberg can provide that better than anybody else, they'll be okay. But the other news, part of the news division, is just it's filler. I think it's probably serves a purpose in terms of taking care of your clients, keeping them on. But yeah, I'm with you. Um, but I think these information service companies are going to continue to grow. I just wonder what their margins are going to be. I actually believe, as you said, the margins are going to start coming down more and more. Because oh. there, there is, there people are just aren't not going to pay more and more all the time, right? Information is supposed to sort of be you're used yeah. to it becoming cheaper and more accessible, yeah. Uh, even if it's coming from the companies we hate. Um, all right, well, just to close out the episode, how about a quick geopolitical spin? Uh, Russia, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the neoliberals think, oh, Vladimir Putin's massing troops on the Ukrainian border, he's doing so inside his own country, which is uh, which is Russia, of course, but um. You know, the theory that he's going to invade, I guess it's always possible. It seems unlikely he massed troops once before. Part of it, I think, is just to show that he can, to show that he is upset at the prospect of, of uh, Washington and Western Europe, old Europe, trying to integrate Ukraine. And I got uh, asked a question, and it's a fair question, but it, <laughs> I don't think I gave necessarily the answer that I was expected. I think it was on Newsmax yesterday. And, um, you know, what should NATO do? Should NATO, can NATO, will NATO, um, you know, stand up for Ukraine? It's like, no, well, NATO shouldn't. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. I don't want to send Iowa farm boys to use a stereotype or Wyoming rancher kids or name your, name your, your group of youngins to go and fight for one corrupt country against another corrupt country. This is not defending Poland in 1939. Uh, Vladimir Putin's a, a tough guy, but he's not Adolf Hitler. Um, I don't know. Am I looking at this the wrong way? I just think that sort of Russia ascendant. Look, I got, I got to tell you something. I, I even get in trouble in Taiwan sometimes, I think, you know, when I say, look, before we start putting, you know, before we start putting, uh, you know, pictures of Virginia school, Virginia high school boys or Virginia, you know, North Carolina farm boys or city boys or whatever on the mother's mantles, you know, behind me. Before we start doing that, we should have a damn good reason to do it. And Ukraine's not that reason. That's just it. It's just not. I mean, the Ukrainians and the Russians have to work things out. Now, I got no problem with sanctioning the hell out of Russia, making life very difficult for them when they're going to you know, blow the world stage apart and making life very, very difficult for them. But the idea that we're going to put troops on the ground and basically tell somebody that, you know, that this person died for that reason or this reason. And I think politically it's impossible, especially after Afghanistan. On the other hand, I think Taiwan's a different story. And Taiwan, it's not because I always tell the Taiwanese, you know, we're not doing this because we love you. 
Right. We're doing this because basically we got we can't have Guam have missiles facing it from Taiwan. We have to have a break there. You know, in other words, the, the Central Asia, we need to be able to, you know, push up into that area. And I think that's one of the things I think people are starting to come to that conclusion. Um, there was a very interesting story in Reuters recently that showed all the scenarios where something would happen in the Straits. But in all the scenarios, they had two things I think were correct. First of all, the Taiwanese will fight initially. And secondly, the U.S. and Japan will come in. And I think, you know, that's why, I mean, I do like strategic ambiguity, but I like it to be like basically give us a reason not to come in. In other words, that that's always been my view about strategic ambiguity. It's not that we're going to 100 percent come in, but the Chinese are going to have to give us a reason not to come in. And, the, and that not to come in would be something like, for example, the China, the Taiwanese decide that they're going to declare independence. They declare independence. I'm going to have a tough time sending boys to die for that. You know what I'm saying? You know, you picked, you picked your thing. But it is a strategic, it's just, but on a strategy thing, if Taiwan, you know, if they're not going to pick the fight, then, you know, that's it. But I, I just, right. I don't, I, I mean, on that sense. But yeah, the Russians, I don't, I, it's, everybody's leaving there anyway. I mean, their population's shrinking. Just let them die. <laughs> well, I think they're going to do well with oil energy prices going oh, up. Oh, yeah. Long term, yeah, but uh, yeah, I understand what you say. And the thing is, China is coming for us. And that's one reason to care about Taiwan. Um, and they can they can seriously alter and the American way of life in a way that Russia can't doesn't really want to or at least doesn't want to. Expand no, I mean, I, 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 I think the Russians just want to be they want to be at the table. They want to be this yes. pride. And, and my bet is when Mr. Putin disappears from this earth, you know what I'm saying, which mm -hmm. couldn't happen a day too soon for me. But when Mr. Putin disappears from this earth, I think we're going to get a different type of Russia. I mean, I, I think it'll still be thuggish. I feel it'll be there. But there's not going to be this vision of Russia running all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Being as aggressive as it used to be. I, I've never I've never in the Russians I know, I've never seen him have the support for that that they think he has. And I think that's what holds him back as well, too. The Russian people yes. are not looking for a war in Ukraine again. I mean, that would do that. But yeah, Taiwan is unique. Taiwan is a U.S. interest point. My, my frustration with Taiwan is that here, here you are, you know, we're ready to do everything you want us to do for you. And they can't even tie their own damn shoes. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, and, and I think people have to do that. And I, and I, I think criticism of Taiwan is good for Taiwan. You know, I think it's good for them. Here, here, here's what you guys have to do. You got to increase immigration. You got to get people living there. You got to open up. You know what I'm saying? I just came back from there and now you can't go. Now you can, now if I want to go back, I got to get a special visa, whatever the hell that's going to mean. Again, yeah, it's, in, it's insane. They're, they're going backwards when the rest of the world is, is opening. Yeah. Even Europe with its if its closures, it's it's a 10 or 20 day thing. Um, and for Taiwan, trading country, uh, if you can go two years without going there and doing business there, you can kind of go your whole life without it. That's a real problem for them. They're riding a high with TSMC and semiconductor companies being in demand, that gets worked out fast. Semiconductors, uh, granted TSMC is always on the leading edge of, of smaller, uh, you know, fewer and fewer nanometers between, it's not circuits, but nodes, something like that. Um, that's, that. That is a hardware that is boring most of the time, except for the last year and will once again be boring. Look, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, you know me, I spent a lot of time there. Most of my friends are, you know, guys who, 
they slide back and forth between KMT and DPP. Sure. Kristen, I'll tell you something. Um, when you see who actually supports the DPP in Taiwan, it worries you a little bit. It's basically academics, teachers, young people, uh, stupid English teacher expats who somehow fancy themselves <laughs> as geopolitical, you know, geniuses. You know, it's 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 really it's not a it's not a good it's not a good place for them to be. You know, and they, you know, it's it's just every time you turn around, it's like the other day they were talking about being the porcupine. You know, we're gonna have the porcupine strategy. Really? Have you been teaching your re reserve guys to shoot guns? Oh no, we can't do that. Well, what are they going to do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. So it's kind of crazy. It gets mm -hmm. it gets a little bit there. But anyway, yeah. it's it's uh, we'll we'll look forward to it. But hey, one prediction for this coming week uh, for the for the coming week. Um, watch U.S. markets to start to understand what if this thing is going to pass, what it's going to mean for inflation. In other words, I think if this thing comes close to passing that we first talked about, I think the markets are going to correct hugely. I, I think we're going to see a massive pullback because I think people, once they start to really focus on the, the confidence in government, governing will go away. In other words, mm -hmm. there won't be any faith anymore. That could also happen, too, if Mr. Powell takes, if you know, Joe gives us uh, Kirk Campbell's wife. Instead yeah, well, Brainerd, Brainerd, who would be even more dovish than the very dovish uh, Jerome Powell is fed. Well, I mean, she's she's a she's a she's a political hack. And the problem is yeah. when that happens, you know, she's she's purely politics and, you know, they'll dress her up in this and that. And finally, one other thing. Um, I heard this week that CNN is seriously starting to worry about losing money two years from now, the way their ratings are going. In other words, they may no longer be profitable the way things are going. I'll, we'll find out. I'm sure somebody said, absolutely not. But they always say we're making a billion dollars. And I was listening to, they, they, it's a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I'm sure you're getting a billion dollars in revenue. What does that mean profit-wise? Right. You know, And so we'll see. Well, and uh, we'll see if the young man who was just found not guilty in Wisconsin takes a bite out of that <laughs> in, in the form of a libel suit. Let's talk about that on, uh, more on the next uh, episode. Hey, if you like what you heard, if you're on YouTube, click subscribe. If you're listening to us on a podcast, please also subscribe to us, whichever catalog you're listening to. We're on it. And we'll be back soon with another edition of Simon & White. Thanks.